So if you're a functioning, breathing human being with a pulse, you've probably seen what's going on. We have one of the worst pandemics in world history. We have a current American political climate that makes the Florida recount look like a checkers game. And also you probably notice that a bunch of people have been put into situations, conversations, and discussions that they'd rather not be in. One of the things I hear all the time is people say they're uncomfortable having conversations about race, about religion, about civil duties, about civil injustice, about systemic racism. Well, if that makes you feel uncomfortable, you should see what a lot of people in this country have gone through for the past 400 years. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Relatively Normal. I am your host, Mark Paisant, and I had to take a week off. I had to clear my head, and it was very hard. For those who know me, know I like doing this show, know I like creating this podcast, and it gives me a lot of joy, but the last few weeks have been busy and uncomfortable. Um, just with the current political climate, current racial climate in the country, and just, of course, normal things with life, with work, with family, with marriage, all that good stuff. And I was exhausted. I'm not going to say I was burnt out. I really wasn't burnt out. I was just, I, I had started to record and I finally told myself, I mean, it got to Sunday and then Monday and then Tuesday And uh, I don't know if you noticed, the last two shows had been out a little late, and I just told myself, take a week off. And I listened. And I'm glad I listened, because I was able to really think about this show. And we're going to talk about two things. In the first, I kind of hinted on a little bit. And it's being uncomfortable. It's being in situations that you're not familiar with. Being put into spots that you'd rather not be in. And it could be for numerous reasons. It could be for reasons that you just don't feel like being in that spot. You never knew you were going to be in that situation. Whatever it is. But I think we need to talk about it. And I'll tell you why. So, the past few weeks... We have seen the deaths, murders of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and now I'm just reading a little bit about Elijah McClain. And it's opened up a narrative that's been opened before, but for some reason right now, it's opened it up a little bigger, a lot bigger. And what people have been forced to do, 
is they've been forced to talk about not only racism, not only injustice, not only police brutality, but they've had to talk about the entire system and how it's rigged against people who are oppressed. And these conversations we're having, whether it be personal conversations, which I've had, whether it be conversations about diversity in the workplace, they make a lot of people uncomfortable. The good thing about this is the best type of progress comes with being uncomfortable. The best outcomes come from people moving outside of their comfort zone and being uncomfortable. You know, if you're a basketball fan, you know the name Magic Johnson. And when he was a rookie, the Lakers were playing in the finals against the 76ers. And the MVP, the best player in the NBA, the all-time or the would-be all-time points leader, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, gets injured, can't play, game six of the finals in Philadelphia. So everyone just kind of wrote off the Lakers for that game, and they were hoping that Kareem could get back for game seven in L.A. But here comes their 6'9 point guard to fill in and play center for Kareem. His comfortable spot, his number one spot was point guard. A facilitator, a guy who brings the ball up the court, the floor general, tells people what to do. Pass first, score second guy. Playing center, he leads that team to a win in an NBA championship and one of the best stories of NBA Finals history ever to see what this rookie point guard could do. And what made that win, what made that championship even sweeter is the fact that that Magic Johnson played out of position and was uncomfortable, but still led his team to victory. Now, don't get me wrong. If he would have just played point guard and they would have switched their, you know, switched somebody else and they would have won, they would have been just as happy. But we probably wouldn't be talking about it the way we talk about it. So being uncomfortable can lead to great things. But we have to understand that nothing comes out of being uncomfortable unless we're willing to take the plunge, unless we're willing to be comfortable being uncomfortable. I mean, let's be honest. It's easy, 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 easy to stay comfortable stay in our little spot in the world to keep our thoughts and feelings the same as they've always been to stay status quo 
to say in our head, no, there's, there's no problem with racial injustice. There's no problem with the glass ceiling. There's... <laughs> Listen, if, if people do what they're supposed to do, if I take care of myself, you take care of yourself, then hey, yeah, there'll be some bumps in the road, but everything is fine. Unfortunately, that's not how it is. So what are some of the uncomfortable conversations people are having now? You know, after the George Floyd video came out, I knew that was the first time that a lot of white people watched a video like that. And they they had heard about it. They had they had people had talked to them about police brutality and and you know what the numbers were in regard to arrest and sentencing per capita for you know, black people versus white people, they, they, they'd seen it. But that was the first time they saw it and heard it. They saw a black man who literally was not resisting, who literally was accused of possibly using a counterfeit $20 bill, who literally called out for his dead mother minutes before he died before he got killed. And so that made them uncomfortable because it shook their world. It, they thought, oh my goodness, everything's not okay. Something is going on. And that made a lot of people uncomfortable. So the conversations we're having now they can be tough. Don't get me wrong. They can be tough. And there's too many of them to go into specifics for each one of them. So let's keep a broad outlook on this and what we can do to feel more comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. One thing you can do is go in with no clear path on how it's going to end. Don't go into a conversation thinking, I'm going to get here at the end of this one conversation. That can basically set unrealistic and unattainable goals. Not much can be accomplished from one conversation. People don't change years and years and decades and decades of thinking from one 30-minute conversation. And I have to interject here where how this deals directly with mental illness and mental awareness. The first time a therapist told me that I was depressed or had depression, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was uncomfortable immediately because I did not want to be someone who had depression. And once I got comfortable with that, Here's the kicker. I figured, okay, a few more of these conversations, a few more of these therapy sessions, a little medication if needed, I'll be all done with depression. I thought it was like a headache or a backache. So imagine what went through my head 
when a therapist told me, no, Mark, this is something you're going to have to deal with your entire life. Yes, it made me uncomfortable. But the simple fact that I worked through it and I got to a point where I could share my story. I got to a point where I can make this podcast and talk about it makes me feel that much better. So when we get put into uncomfortable situations, I think we have to really focus on what we're asking of ourselves. We shouldn't ask ourselves to automatically change our way of thinking or automatically become comfortable instantaneously. That's that's not right. That doesn't help. It just hurts the situation because it starts this cycle where we start to doubt if we can even get any better or get through an uncomfortable situation. But there's a few things that I found, and again, just searching online, a you know website, inc.com, inc.com, has a good article by Kevin Dahm on seven ways to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I'll put it in the show notes. But I'm just going to read through a few of these. And maybe this can help you. Clear your head. Make sure there's no voices in there telling you what should and should not be done. Just totally clear your head. Just enjoy the process. Write about the process. Write it down. Write your feelings. Write about what you're feeling comfortable about. Write specifically what makes you uncomfortable. This can help organize your thoughts. Reward yourself for getting through uncomfortable situations or at least talking through them, putting the progress in. Share your journey. Let other people know that you're trying this. Don't keep it all inside. Just like therapy, let somebody else hold that weight for you. Create some easy time. You know, make sure you set time away for simple tasks that you've mastered. Now, give your brain a little time off. And I mentioned this early, but take the plunge. You know, just like being in a pool of cold water, going in slowly is difficult. Just take the plunge because you know your body will acclimate to the water. And lastly, celebrate small wins. Say, for instance, that you started to recognize that there is a big discrepancy in the amount of people of color that are arrested or shot or killed per capita. Celebrate that. Celebrate that you're, you're making progress. So those are just some small steps we can take to really get comfortable with being uncomfortable. As the saying goes, you got to crack some eggs to make an omelet. And I guarantee you, I know this for a fact, 
that a lot of us, a lot of us, including myself, have a lot of eggs to crack and a huge omelet to make. So the second thing that I want to talk about, and I think it goes very well with what's going on in the world and how people's mental health is affected and being uncomfortable, is the psychology and sociology around confirmation bias. And for those who don't know what confirmation bias is, basically it's our tendency to search for, interpret, favor, and recall information in a way that confirms or strengthens our personal belief or hypothesis. What does all of that mean? Basically, it means we search for things that tell us we're right. Not only do we search for things that tell us we're right, but we search for things that tell us that other people are wrong. And this can be so bad. It can be extremely detrimental and it can lead us down the wrong road. Great example. Great example. And again, not getting political, not getting social, not doing any of that stuff. Basically, climate change. You will find hundreds, thousands, millions of articles written by scientists, by educators, by meteorologists, by anybody who deals with weather that tells you that humans are playing a part in the overall increase in the temperature of the earth. This is a fact. This is, I mean, this is not something that needs to be debated. But... You can find a few articles written that say, nope, nope, that's totally wrong, totally coincidence, par for the course. The earth is exactly how it needs to be. The temperature hasn't changed, blah, blah, blah. You get it. And we will hold on to what makes us feel like we are right. Now, how does this hurt us when it comes to mental health? When we think about our overall well-being, our overall health and well-being, 
I've, I've talked about triggers. I've talked about things that set people off. I talked about symptoms. I've talked about things I've gone through. But have you ever told yourself, no, I'm fine. No, everything is fine. I don't have a problem. I don't have an issue. And then you do what you can or you hold on to what you can that tells you you're right. For instance, if you have a drinking problem and you go one day without a drink, you may tell yourself, see, I don't have a problem with alcohol. I went a whole 24 hours without drinking. Would a person with an alcohol problem be able to do that? No. If you believe that the systemic racism in law enforcement, systemic racism in hiring, systemic racism in so many things in this world is not real, you will find some pundit to tell you that. And once you hear it, once you read it, once you listen to it, you will say, see, I was right. I don't know what black people are talking about. There's, you know, they need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and just work harder and things will be fine. To you, it doesn't matter how many people get killed in the street. It doesn't matter how many innocent people's house get, houses get broken into and shot where they're asleep from a no-knock warrant. It doesn't matter how many black men's necks get kneeled on until they lose consciousness and die. Because you will tell yourself that, per the data, more white people get killed by cops than black people. You will take that data and run with it and say, see, there's no problem. We're not complaining. Why should you? And that is a true statistic. Like, yes, more white people get killed by cops than black people. However, the percentage per capita is astounding. Black people only make up a small minority of this country. Don't want to give you the numbers. You can look it up yourself, but I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole. What I really want to talk about is how our minds react to confirmation bias. We could be in the worst mood, and I am guilty of this myself. I could be in the worst mood thinking that the world is on fire, thinking that nothing's going to work, nothing's going to change. Whatever specific thing I'm thinking about, I could think that things are never going to get better. Down to the internet, and I'll see one thing that tells me no. No, Mark, things are, things are fine the way they are, and it makes my brain feel better. I'll try to take from that. I'll try to stop what I'm thinking of and say, okay, no, 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 look. That proves that everything's going to be okay. It is amazing what our brains latch on to. And I'm going to bring up something, and I, I kind of want to spend a few minutes on this because this is important to me. 
And I rarely, and I've done, so I've done two episodes on on religion with my good friend Andy Heck. I rarely bring up God or the Bible or any type of religion when it, when I'm trying to make a point or teach somebody about racial injustice or sexism or xenophobia or trans rights. I, I rarely bring up the Bible because I'm going to say it right now. The Bible is the most used book when it comes to confirmation bias. Whether it be slavery, whether it be abortion, whether it be about the place of the female in American society, anything. Both sides use it, or multiple sides use it. They pick and choose to prove their point. Now I'm going to bring up a, a movie, and I brought up a movie with on the show before, but movie is called Birth of a Nation. It's the Nat Turner story about a slave uprising. And for those who don't know the story, Nat Turner was taught how to read as a young black slave, but he was taught how to read the Bible. And then by white slave owners, he was used as he got older to preach to other slaves on why being a slave is part of what the Bible teaches. Basically, they used him in a way to keep slaves in line, to preach the gospel, to keep slaves in line. They used one black slave to help them keep the others in line. Now you're probably thinking, man, this is this is terrible, this is horrible. Well, yes, it is. But people will use that same book to talk about how slavery was bad, to preach love, to preach forgiveness. And the same people will preach why slavery was good. My slavery is necessary. I happen to live in the Bible Belt where things aren't as progressive as people may want it to be. People love going to church. They love to hear the word of the Lord. And they will hold on to passages they will hold on to parts of Scripture that prove their point. So that is why I, I just, I don't like using the gospel. I don't like using the Bible. I don't like using any kind of religion because it is just ripe for confirmation bias. And we really have to get away from that. People have to learn to see things with a clear head because what does confirmation bias do? It takes us away from those uncomfortable situations. It takes us away from those uncomfortable conversations. If I don't believe something is happening because I read one thing that proved my point, I am not even going to engage someone else who has a different opinion. I'm just going to say, no, I'm right. No need to talk to them. I'm good to go. I'm very comfortable 
being where I am. Confirmation bias can really hurt us. Really hurt us. And people need to get away from it. But it's hard. It really is hard. So, I will leave you with this. I will leave you with some ways to overcome confirmation bias. The easiest one is the first one. Seek external feedback. If you find something that's very convenient for you, very convenient for your thought process, get some feedback from others. Do some more research. Don't just take everything at face value. Try proving yourself wrong. You know, once you get what you're looking for, try to look at it from a different perspective. Maybe change your question, change the wording of your question. And then the biggest one, I think the biggest one. Don't make instant decisions. Don't just grab on to that thing that feels good. Take some time. Take a breath. Take a day or two. And then really think about it or think about it again. Because once we move past our confirmation bias, once we move past those things that make us comfortable and move into that uncomfortability, then we can make true progress. And maybe we can all learn something from each other. So again, I appreciate everybody letting me take the week off. It was very good for me. I hope you learned something about yourself or about me and, and you're willing to get in those uncomfortable spots to learn a little bit about yourself and learn a little bit about other people. Try to see how other people see the world. Again, I appreciate you listening. Take care of yourselves, and I'll talk to you later. Relatively Normal is written, produced, and edited by me, Mark Paisan. And as always, if you or someone you know is in crisis, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255.